It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. From the best-selling authors of The Daily Stoic comes the ultimate stoicism guide to success, resilience, and virtue to accept what you cannot control and adapt to what you can a philosophy sports teams across the country are successfully adapting. Lives of the Stoics, the art of living from Zeno to Marcus Aurelius is available now wherever books are sold. You are Locked On Bengals, your daily Cincinnati Bengals podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. Today, we're going to get started with some observations about what's going on on the sidelines during games and on tape from an offensive line perspective, some trends that emerged this week. And as we always do on Tuesdays, we'll get you caught up on all the news about the Bengals, including who they protected on the practice squad. They brought in a couple of guys for workouts, and they no longer hold the top waiver priority in the NFL as that has reset to the current records after week three. Then we're joined by Chrissy Freud, who writes for Pro Football Network and covered Joe Burrow down in Baton Rouge. Writes for The Advocate in Baton Rouge as well, so we'll get her take on Joe Burrow's transition from a storybook season at LSU to, let's call it a very pressure-filled first three weeks in the NFL. We'll finish up with our weekly mailbag segment where we take your questions from Twitter and weigh in with our opinions. But let's get started with the news of the day and some observations about the offensive line on Sundays. The Bengals place protections, meaning other teams can't sign these guys off their practice squad for this week on Khalil McKenzie, Torrey McTire, Stanley Morgan, and Alex Redman. I think Stanley Morgan has been on this list every week of the season. They still see him as a very important depth special teamer and wide receiver. Khalil McKenzie was up on the active roster last week and played against the Eagles. Tory McTire spent some time on the 53 earlier this season, and Alex Redman, of course, freshly returned to the practice squad, is probably the most noteworthy name on this list. He is, and you're right. I not only expect him to be active, I wouldn't be shocked at all. Maybe not if he starts. How crazy would that be if a guy who was promoted from the practice squad and, and gets the start? I, I don't think that. I think that's a little unrealistic, but I wouldn't be shocked at all if Alex Redman is out there with the ones during Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and, and get some legit uh, reps on Sunday against the Jaguars because they need to find a way to shore up their issues at right guard. That is their most glaring hole on this offensive line. I know Bobby Hart gets a lot of flack, and the casual fan knows him more than these other guys, but right guard has crushed them in these past two games. And really, 
not just the past eight quarters, but the past 10 quarters, uh, you know, really since Xavier Suafila went down. So they need to find a way. And uh, clearly they're willing to exhaust any and all possibilities on this practice squad or 53 man roster to try to find the right right guy right piece for this roster you can say it's it's the last like 70 quarters if you want to include last year i did some quick (laughs) math there that's not precise math but you get the idea the guard position for the bengals has been an issue for a long time and a new issue that emerged when i watched the game back on sunday and i took a look at some of the sacks the offensive line gave up is a bit of a technique change from the Bengals you've heard Willie Anderson on the Lockdown Bengals podcast before you follow him on Twitter you know that Willie Anderson hates the two-hand punch so did Paul Alexander and for the Bengals this week suddenly a whole lot of two-hand punches started coming out from the offensive line if you go out there and you turn on the Jonah Williams sack to start the game the very first drive of the game the only one of the only pressures he really gave up in the whole game. He gave up one other hurry, according to PFF. He he jabs with both hands, gets both his hands knocked down, and gets run right around. This happened to Bobby Hart. This happened to Billy Price. This happened across the offensive line, and this is something that was new this week. The other thing you might notice if you go back and watch the game is look for Jim Turner on the sideline. You won't find him there. When the Bengals go to the sideline and their offensive linemen are looking for coaching, they're going to assistant offensive line coach Ben Martin. So Jim Turner up in the booth and teaching the two-hand punch apparently this week. It's certainly not going to help Jim Turner's status with the fan base when they hear that. And obviously that didn't work out well. Look, whatever he thought he was going to do to this offensive line, and whatever this coaching staff thought, it hasn't happened. Now, you, you could e- easily say, well, Xavier Suofilo went down. But it isn't just that. It can't be that simple because there are injuries all across the league. And we talked a lot about this, Jake, before the season. Is like, yeah, well, the offensive line might not look that bad if nothing happens and they develop the right way. But there are going to be injuries. There are going to be players out. And you're going to have to have – capable backups and they don't and and that's the problem is a lot of these you know teams in the nfl ziver suofilo is a backup and he's the guy that you're bringing in he's not the starter in this offensive line so bad that that he comes he goes out with an injury and it's an issue and and now you're you're diving into some technique stuff that he's teaching these guys and it certainly isn't working we talk a lot jake about joe burrow's development the last thing i want is jonah williams development uh Michael Jordan's development to get stunted by a coach who thinks he knows what he's doing, but clearly has had his issues in the the year plus that he's been in Cincinnati. And I've made this point on Twitter today, James, or yesterday. In fact, this is kind of what you get when you have your coaching staff make all of your personnel decisions. If you have a coach that doesn't know what he's doing, and, and maybe Jim Turner at some level, clearly he, he knows what he's doing, but but he's been unsuccessful at many stops. And, and when your front office is relying on their coaches to a, to a higher degree than anywhere else in the NFL to make offensive line decisions or any personnel decisions, you're, you're stuck with that coach's take on things. And, and right now, and really going back to 2012, when Paul Alexander started, I don't know, preferring Cedric Wehi to Andrew Whitworth, 
that that's when things started sliding and they've only gotten worse since then. So certainly a lot to fix in the offensive line. I'm not sure it happens before Jim Turner is replaced or before the Bengals expand their front office. Coming up next, we've got Chrissy Freud from Pro Football Network. She's covered Joe Burrow since he arrived at LSU. We'll hear from her about how he's doing in the NFL and what her first experience with Joe Burrow was. Then we'll get into your mailbag questions. Now more than ever, it's important to show support for your team and your community. Visa and the National Football League know that local businesses help your community move the ball down the field. Small businesses everywhere are overcoming challenges in these new times thanks to teammates like you and Visa. Because when everyone pitches in, everyone benefits. Being loyal to local businesses ignites growth and supports all of us in our communities because they know where you shop matters. Visa urges you to support local retailers who are making shopping safe and reliable. And remember, tap to pay with a contactless Visa wherever you see the contactless symbol to support your local community. Visa, official partner of the NFL. Hi, I'm Jake from Locked On. Think of all the amazing things in life that are expressions of you, your favorite football team, what you wear to the playoff watch party, that song that you stream over and over to get you pumped up for the gym, or the recommendations that you share with your friends on the top six comedy podcasts that are best to listen to on a long road trip, or even your new haircut, which may or may not be an epic bowl cut from the 90s and hopefully is. Everything that makes you, you makes all the difference. State Farm believes insurance should work the same way. Your plan, your coverage selections can be personalized by you. And the ability to choose the plan you want by picking the options that fit you, like choosing to bundle your home and auto policies, is what the State Farm personal price plan is all about. Getting the coverage you want at an affordable price just for you. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. We're now joined by Chrissy Freud, who's been covering Joe Burrow since he arrived at LSU, is still a student, and is working six gigs, she tells me. An incredibly impressive person, a great resume for someone. When I was 21, I I hadn't done nearly as much. Chrissy, welcome to the Lockdown Bengals podcast. How are you doing today? Good. Thank you for having me. We wanted to talk to you a little bit about, from someone who's covered Joe Burrow now for going on three years, how do you think he's dealing with the transition to the NFL? Obviously, everybody that watches him knows that he's playing at a high level, especially for a rookie, especially for a rookie that didn't have an offseason or a preseason. But he's also facing a more difficult situation than he did at LSU in terms of the team around him, in terms of just the the first time you play in the NFL is going to be different from the highest competition in college. What are your first impressions of how Joe Burrow's handled that transition? I think that he's really doing everything correctly on his own. And one thing that I told someone else on another Bengals podcast I was recently on, his mental toolbox that I was just so impressed with at LSU seems to have fully transitioned to the NFL level. I mean, we're seeing the same sort of accuracy, the same strong decision-making every once in a while you see him hold on to the ball and for just sometimes it seems almost like too long but he seems to have carried over the same sort of I've never seen someone with the same type of confidence that Joe Burrow has just so unbothered and he's that way 
uh, both on and off the field. So I've been impressed. I haven't seen the same kind of rookie mistakes that I've seen from so many other rookies. He's, he's not without his personal mistakes. They happen from time to time. And obviously that's to be expected just with the transition in general, get, definitely given the unprecedented circumstances he's surrounded by. But I've, I've been impressed by him. And I think that he's still the most complete quarterback that I've ever covered. And I've covered across high school, college, NFL, uh, developmental leagues, all that. So. Chrissy, I, I agree with you. And I, I think that when I look at Burrow for, you know, his first three starts and I think about how this team should look down the line, how the offensive line should be better. Hopefully Zach Taylor develops into the, the coach and play caller that the Bengals hired him to be. I, I think about how, you know, his ceiling and what he could be. And, and I want you to take me back to, to LSU because I don't know, 18 months ago, no one thought Joe Burrow could be what he is today. And you covered him in that first year at LSU, his junior season. Was he that same confident guy then? Did something change? And, and if so, what? And just how did you see him develop from year one to year two? Because clearly what he did in that second season at LSU has translated to the NFL, like you said. Well, I think that some of that has to do with improvement across the supporting cast. I, I didn't want to be – I'm a lot more bold in my predictions than I used to be. It's actually paid off quite well, at least on the college spectrum recently. But whenever I watched the limited film that was available of Joe Burrow at Ohio State and just looked through some of his quotes, some of his coaches' quotes, interviewed a lot of his former teammates, a lot of his former coaches, I always got the impression that Joe Burrow could be exactly what he became. And I think that in that junior season, well, the the, the season in which he – was a graduate transfer that first one in 2018. I think that he was much more solid in his opening than Miles Brennan was, even though a lot of people like to compare those numbers as of recently. Um, I think that the strength of his supporting cast improved between 2018 and 2019 in a much more major way than uh, people seem to think. But I would say that his decision making got a little bit better. Um, the internal clock was something that bothered me a little bit. It was very rare, but every once in a while it looked like that was something you could afford to do just better in that general category. And that it really did um, get better between those two seasons. But another thing that I touch on is the, the drop rate. The, there was a point in time at LSU actually that we didn't film, um, all of the receptions in practice because of the drops by the receivers. And it improved by a relatively significant margin between those two years. So the, in the national media, well, just I, I don't want to name anyone in particular, but just a, across some <laughs> places, there were people that wanted to say, oh, Joe Burrow's accuracy has skyrocketed. He's made all these major improvements. And of course, he did make some improvements. That's going to come whenever a guy's been sitting on the bench for his entire college career and he's just now out as a starter and then he has his second year. But I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that there were less drop passes in that second season, you have a guy like Joe Brady, who's an absolute genius, come in as your passing game coordinator and put him in the the type of offense, that aggressive passing offense that he has the ability to do so well in. The Bengals have adopted a lot of what Joe Brady did for Joe Burrow, I think, in the passing game. They're going empty a lot. They're putting five wide receivers on the field. And even when they are in 11 or 12 personnel, they're going five guys out in the formation pretty frequently, playing to his mental prowess, as you alluded to earlier. 
I'm wondering if you've watched any of his press conferences after the games or if you could compare kind of your your impression of, of where he's at or how he's handling adversity after he had such a successful run at LSU. Of course, you saw him lose some games in that junior year that people outside of the LSU circle probably weren't really paying attention to, especially the quarterback play. As James said, people weren't thinking of Burrow as a as a high round quarterback prospect at that point. How has that transition been for Burrow? As far as the post-game press conferences, I will say that Joe Burrow has a very unique personality. He always has. I've I've never I've never met someone that is quite like him. It's like this quiet yet loud confidence. And it's like he's snarky, but in a very subtle way. Um, I will say that I am proud of how gracious that he's been um, toward his supporting cast. Whenever he's asked questions about them, of course, I mean, you can't get up on the podium and absolutely trash people, even though some of them do deserve it in my eyes. <laughs> but um, I, I, there was there was one quote that he had where he was actually praising the offensive line. And I was personally a bit confused. I'm not even sure what he saw there, because uh, just from what I've seen, they've been uh, really bad. To they have. Up. Yeah. Simply. And to the, to the point that I think that I, I mean, there's a certain amount of development, there's a certain amount of experience. And we know that there were a bunch of position battles that were open across the offensive line. But at what point do you say this guy, this guy, this guy, and I think it's far more than one guy that he's not going to work out and that you need to trade and that you need to get someone else. Because as Zach Taylor said, some of these guys, like they, you can't, there was something to the tune of that if they can't block for a second and some of them seriously seem like they can't, block for a second you just look at some plays that you're just like my goodness this is inexcusable so just just back to the way that he's handled it I think that he's done a really good job mentally I think that he's handled everything well in the things that he says about it and I think that that reflects his true mindset but we have to get back to the physical aspect of this at some point you can't put this guy in the turf regardless of how tough he is so many times Eight sacks on Sunday, unacceptable. You can't do that over and over again, expecting to take nasty hits like that. And one day, he's not going to be okay. I would like to close, if I could, with just, if you could just give me one, one of your favorite lesser-known Joe Burrow stories from your time covering him at LSU. And, and I also wanted to give you the platform to talk about a little bit of, of what you're working on, what your projects are right now. All right, well, my favorite Joe Burrow story is also the uh, first player interviews that I ever went to. I covered the team remotely for, I want to say, somewhere in the realm of two to three years before I uh, finally arrived on campus and started going to those meetings pretty regularly. So it was the week after Auburn, and I had covered that one from the news office. I did not go to that game. And one thing I saw on TV that I don't think a lot of people saw in the press box was he he totally uh, tumbled over the fence into these rocks and so I was like this is the perfect story for clicks and so I I walked in there I think I, I had to have been 18 19 at the time I think I was 18 actually and I went over then I've I'd never seen him in my life and I just like pulled him to the side I was like hey can I ask you something and I asked him a question about a flipping over the fence and it's it's a it's a pretty interesting pretty entertaining story it was a short one but it's just it's still kind of funny to me that that's that's what I the first time ever made the bold move of pulling a player to the side in the middle of <laughs> player interviews. That was what I chose to address. But as far as uh, what I'm, what I'm working on, let's see, two NFL teams, one college team, 
bunch of quarterbacks across the country. Uh, I'm working on all that, but I, so I cover the Tennessee Titans and the LSU Tigers for USA Today Sports Media Group. I still do that. And then I do Bengals and quarterback analysis at Pro Football Network, high school football for the advocate. I have my own segment on quarterback breakdowns weekly that I just post to YouTube and post to Twitter. And then me and my friend are starting a podcast, which is going to be probably not for everyone's ears. It's a little bit of a different spin just about life and just random football topics throughout the week. But yeah, I think that about caps it off with everything that I'm doing right now. That is an incredibly busy and productive sports journalism life. That's Chrissy Freud. You can find her on Twitter at Chrissy underscore Freud. You can find her YouTube show Under Pressure with Chrissy Freud. And we appreciate her spending some time with the Locked On Bengals podcast today. Coming up next, we get into your mailbag questions. And you want to know what we would do if we were the GM. And a lot of you seem like you're looking forward to next offseason already. We'll get into your questions coming up next. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Let's keep things rolling with the mailbag. One of our favorite segments of the week here on Locked On Bengals. And make sure you follow at Locked On Bengals on Twitter to get your questions in weekly. Let's start with AC Wheels 10, who asks, I know it's early, but I want to throw this out there. How would you guys feel if the Bengals didn't resign AJ Green and John Ross, resigned Alexander Lawson and William Jackson, then in free agency, they get above average right tackle or sign an above average right tackle and right guard and draft Jamar Chase in the first round? Jake, your thoughts? I don't think that this is all wrong but I also think it's a little bit of a different approach than I would take and I think it's going to be a different approach than you would take for different reasons at this point from what we've seen through three games and this could obviously change I, I think that I'm ready to do the first part of the plan not re-sign AJ Green not re-sign John Ross re-sign Mackenzie Alexander because otherwise you have a need at slot corner Resign Carl Lawson because he's the only defensive lineman that's really doing much of anything so far this season. DJ Reader certainly had his moments as well, and he's locked in anyway. And William Jackson III has bounced back. He, he's playing very solid corner. So I'm good with all of that. When you get to the free agency part, that's, that's where A, I don't trust the Bengals, and B, I, I don't know, given what the cap situation is going to look like next year, what will be possible for them to do there? Yeah, they can get out of Bobby Hart's contract, and they should. I think they will. But for me, given the current trajectory, they're looking at another top 10 pick, and I think that that just needs to be used on offensive line. They, they've invested in T. Higgins with a second-round pick. They've got Tyler Boyd on the roster. If they want to go draft a receiver a little bit later, if they want to find another way to, to add a wide receiver, fine. The, the other caveat to this is something that we talked about yesterday. If they find a way to trade for a right guard who can be under contract for a few years, well, then maybe you have some flexibility in the draft. But but right now, 
I don't see how they can come out of the first round of the 2021 NFL draft, even if they trade back, even if they trade up, no matter how they do it, without an offensive lineman. Because it's not just next year that you need to fix, and it's not just two years you need to fix. You, you need a fix for the entirety of Joe Burrow's tenure here. And the, the issue with that approach then is that rookies aren't good generally Joe Burrow an exception to the rule but usually rookies need time so there is some merit to going out in free agency but I still think they need to draft an offensive lineman in the first round even if they do and and I think that the more I talk about this James the more I want them to just find a way to get a trade done which for me feels absolutely insane to say no I I agree about the trade part and here's the thing everything you said I agree with like for the most part but here's where and this is just the reality of the draft and we the context matters and we don't have the context. We don't know where they're drafting. Sure. If they're drafting third overall in Penny Sewell or, or whatever his name is, I'm pretty sure it's called is Penny Sewell. He's supposed to be a top left tackle, one of a once in a generation prospect. If he's available, then you obviously take him. But I don't want the Bengals to have blinders on and to be so locked in. That let's say they draft eighth because to me they should be two and one and at some point they're going to to win a couple games here and I, I don't think maybe they get a five, top five pick but I I don't know but I don't expect them to to trade up by the way that's just not what they've done I don't want them to reach on a lineman because he plays right tackle or because they feel like he's a guy you know maybe he's the the twentieth best prospect on their board but he, it's a big need and 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 the reason I there's a couple reasons why one. I don't want to go into the draft banking on the draft playing out to where you can get a starter or you need to, to get a starter. That's how you end up with Billy Price, where you have to reach. I don't want that. And I know it's different drafting in the 20s versus drafting in the top 10. But to me, and it's not just wide receiver. I mean, th- there's a, a scenario where they, they take an edge rusher. You know, I, I think that there's, you know, a multiple needs for this team, big needs. And, and obviously, wheels mentioned jamar chase and and i'm fine with that like i'm fine with the idea uh, or being open to a wide receiver but of the the positions of need you know wide receiver is probably going to be even if those departures happen probably third on their needs list so jamar chase would have to be head and shoulders above everybody else left on the board Uh, so i I don't want to rule it out and i can't believe we spent this much time talking on the draft but i think it is important to be open to any position, because if not, then you end up pigeon, pigeonhole, pigeoning yourself or, or putting yourself in this spot where you have to take a line. And I, I don't want that because really, I would love for them to to get alignment early in the draft, but him not even need to start unless he wins the job in camp because they they make the right additions in free agency. And, and that'll be my logic uh, next offseason spoiler alert and like you said hopefully they do make a trade they should they should be on the phones now i think they should be on the phone uh with a couple free agents working them out you know when they're allowed to when COVID allows with the, the outbreak with the, the titans and stuff um so yeah that, those are kind of my thoughts uh obviously offensive lines are their biggest need i think joe burrow can make uh wide receivers look much better uh so i i wouldn't prioritize wide receiver too much you know, where you have to take one in the top 10 or anything like that if Green and, and Ross depart. But I'm also open to it, and I'm not going to rule it out either. I'm not really trying to rule out drafting a receiver per se. I, I think that there's a lot that can happen between now and then. But with the cap projected to be lower next year, 
I'm not ready to think about free agency. So, so sure. If, if it works out in free agency draft, whatever you want, but, but to your point, James, I, I also don't want them to be necessarily panic picking. If they're in the top 10, they should be able to get a really good player at mm-hmm. a position they need. And that could be an, an edge rusher. Like you said, defensive tackle has been an mm-hmm. issue. The entire defensive line without Geno Atkins has been pretty rough. Uh, they, they showed some signs of life against Philly, but throughout the season, not great. They're going to need offensive line help, obviously. If the scenario plays out where Green and Ross depart, they will need a wide receiver at some point. They I, probably will need a corner at yeah, some point. They, that's the other thing. Corner could be a top need, too. Although the, they're still going to be paying Trey Wayne, so we can't forget he's on the team because that's part of the reason that I don't know if they'll have the money to go out and spend on an offensive lineman in free agency next year. So I think that I, this is a really interesting question, obviously, but it, it gets into the very distant future. And uh, there's just too much that can happen between now and then. So since this question is too far in the future, James, our next question from T baby swag Lord, man, Twitter names, huh? Hashtag leave (laughs) Zach in Philly is this guy's current Twitter name. What are two moves you would make today? If you were the Bengals GM could be a player, player change or a coaching change, James. Not making any coaching changes yet. And I know we, Look, there's some guys on track for there to be changes this offseason. I'll say it that way. It's still only three games. Uh, I am making personnel changes. And so if I was Duke Tobin, Mike Brown, whoever you want to call the GM, I I would say it's more Duke Tobin. I would be on the phone. I would call the Giants about Kevin Zeitler. I'd be very aggressive. I would be offering him uh, or offering them a third round pick. And I would take all that money back. And and, and I would kind of leave that on the table. Uh, because I, I think the Giants would consider that at this stage of his career and, and where they're at from an organization standpoint. If that didn't work, and maybe you start with a fourth and then bump it to the third, whatever. Um, if that didn't work, th- then I would get on the phone and I'd be calling some of these free agents. And, and there aren't a ton of offensive linemen that are free agents. By the way, I've gotten a lot of where's Larry Warford. He opted out. So I was pushing that train as much as I could. Um, but he opted out, so that, that's why he's not mentioned. A guy you mentioned to me, Jake, yesterday, Josh Klein is a guy. He's made 13 starts uh, over the past five seasons, 13 starts or more. I think he's a plug-and-play right guard. I think he's the you know the perfect experienced guy that can be a Band-Aid to get you to next offseason. So I would call him, and I would call Ronald Leary, another guy who could be potentially a Band-Aid. Uh, PFF graded him pretty high as a pass blocker last year for Denver, which is really what I'm worried about. Obviously you want him to be good in both, but we're worried about protecting Joe Burrow. So those are the two guys I would try to work them out. Um, and, and I would work them out. And, and then, the, you know, the best man gets the job and that would be that. And then when Xavier Suofilo comes back, maybe he slides into left guard if Michael Jordan's struggling. Um, so that way you have a little depth and, and maybe some security there on the interior of the offensive line. Uh, that's, that's the move I I would I would try to address guard. There aren't many tackles out there. I wrote about Donald Penn. He's not really a good option. He's 37 years old. He didn't grade well last year. Uh, he would have to move from the left to right side. So there aren't many like right tackles you could just go get. A guy I would have gotten uh, that the Broncos got uh, right before I think it was during training camp is Demar Dotson, but he hasn't played any snaps for them. So who knows what he has left. Um, so, so that, that's the guy I would get it. You know, I would try to get Zeitler if you can't, 
I would bring in either Leary or Klein. And, and, and then I would go. I mean, I, I'm not trading a bunch of guys. I know people want to trade Ross or trade Green. I'm just not there yet. And, and, and things can change a lot in a week or two. So I'm, I'm not going to pull the trigger on, on anything like that. But if I can give up a pick, even if it's a decent pick, a day two pick for Kevin Zeitler, I would certainly do it. And if not, I would address it in free agency. Sorry, that was really long-winded. Well, you, you took my Josh Klein answer there, so so that's off the table. But that that's one of them, is sign Josh Klein. The Vikings cut him. He's still on the street for some reason. Vikings fans are, are begging for him to come back. And I, I don't see why you wouldn't, because you need guard help. And, and maybe he's not taking calls. Maybe that's why, because they brought in a couple linemen today to work out. And, and Josh Klein wasn't one of them. The other one is is... Well, I'm torn. I would either fire Jim Turner midway through the season and let Ben Martin run with that unit, see if he's been uh, hamstrung at all by by the way Turner likes to, to coach his line, likes to design his running games, because both of those things have been problems. Or or I would look at trading uh, John Ross, AJ Green, one of them, maybe both of them, just because at this point, and, and like you said, James, I'm not doing either of these things probably until after week five. Because, you know, get closer to the trade deadline, see how the next couple of weeks go. But but if the trade deadline was now and it was like an eight-game season or something, then that's definitely where I'm at. Because I, I don't see those guys right now as part of the long-term future for the Bengals. And obviously, a lot can change there. And it's something that we'll talk about a lot. The other guy that people have mentioned is Billy Price. I don't think he has much trade value. I, the same thing, honestly, I don't know if Ross has much value right now in, in green I'm not selling the stock at its lowest. How about you let him get a 100-yard game under his belt, which is going to happen this week against the Jags. There you go. Hot take to end the show. There we go. That's what we needed. AJ Green, truther, James Rapine. Woo! I didn't get a woo out of you yet. <laughs> well, I'm, uh, I'll be happy to do it when we get there. Let's say that. <laughs> That's going to do it for this episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. Tomorrow, we cross over with Locked On Jaguars, Tony Wiggins, James's co-host on the Locked On NFL channel, by the way. They get to do a show to talk about just their two teams. That's coming your way tomorrow. Then we'll be back Thursday to talk about what we're watching for when the Bengals, I think, uh, pick up their first win, James. I, I'm, I'm rolling with the favorites at home. Until then, Bengals fans, who day? Have a good one. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.